Hey there, I'm the Kentucky Guy, and thank you so much for listening to the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Here at the Red Pill Current News Podcast, we strive on bringing you news that you won't find in the fake media every day. We also strive to bring you the truth, not only on politics, but the world news all around, including pop culture and so forth. As for myself, I worked in the private sector for around 25 years in the call center management and health insurance industry. Uh, Due to unforeseen circumstances and health issues, I was forced into early retirement last year. Now, a couple years ago, I noticed that something just wasn't sitting right with the way our country was being ran or being politicized as. So I started doing research, a lot of research. And that's why I'm able to now host this podcast. I've been on other shows as well, discussing my views. I'm also on social media. I'm on The Clapper, Rizzle, TikTok, Truth Social, Facebook, and many more. You can find me at the KY Guy, Kentucky Guy, KY Guy, or KY Guy 80. Different ones. Somebody had my name on other platforms, of course. <laughs> All right. So, yes, and I uh, do want to let you know that we do drop a new episode here every every Wednesday and Saturday. So be sure to uh, hit that follow or subscribe button. No matter where you're listening to, we are on all podcast platforms. All right. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. And uh, again, God bless and God bless America. And welcome to the special report on the Red Pill Current News Podcast. This is the special report, Devolution Part 9. Hey, if you're new here, make sure that you hit that follow and subscribe button. I also do recommend that you go listen to Part 1 because you may be uh, completely lost listening to this one. Now, folks, I will warn you that this will be a... there, there's a lot of information. I know I haven't done one of these in a couple of days, um, and I apologize for that. We've had so many great guests on I've had to prepare for. Uh, we do have a special guest tomorrow joining us, uh, and that is uh, uh, James uh, Hickman. Uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy him. Uh, but if you're new here, hit that follow or subscribe button. We are on all major podcasts, Apple, Google, uh, even Amazon Music. So, and also for you wrestling fans out there, oh yeah, uh, we do. I do host Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. We drop new episodes there every Monday and Friday, and uh, also we drop new episodes here every Wednesday and Saturday. But as you can tell, today's Tuesday when we have these special reports. Sometimes you get a new episode every day. All right, so let's get into this. Uh, the only news I've got, because there's so much I need to get into on this special report uh, that I haven't shared with you all yet. Um, the only breaking news is uh, Crazy Nancy, Fancy Nancy, 
She did go to Taiwan. She did land in Taiwan. She was not shot down as of right now, but she's in Taiwan despite the Chinese government's uh, threats. So, uh, so first of all, I don't like Nancy Pelosi at all, uh, but I don't want her to be to get shot down or get harmed over there. I actually, I don't want anybody to get harmed, and I don't want us to be drugged into a war. But I do believe that Nancy Pelosi did have to go to Taiwan uh, because if she didn't, it would show weakness, uh, even though the fake president, Joe Biden, didn't want her to go because he's weak anyways. And, you know, you we know why Joe didn't want her to go, right? Because he's compromised by China, and he doesn't want to miss any of that money. You know, make China mad, and uh, they don't give my boy money. And me being the big guy, I don't get the money. <laughs> but I regress. All right, so let's get into devolution part nine. All right, so as I mentioned, there is a lot of this. Um, I do feel like there's going to be parts of this episode uh, in which I could have easily even went even further. Uh, but for time's sake, I, for time's sake, I didn't. Um, I could have broken this article up uh, probably into even three different uh, episodes, but I truly felt it was important to make this one episode because it all ties together, okay? All right, so let's get started. Okay, so, but I will say by the end of this episode, I believe you'll understand exactly why the situation in Afghanistan happened the way it did. You guys remember Afghanistan last year? Uh-huh. And uh, what role President Trump... Uh, had in it and that we are truly on the precipice of taking our country back so i think the timing of covid19 coming from china at the same time trump signed the phase one trade deal is too much of a coincidence think about it for just a second i believe that covid19 was the ccp's response to hurt our economy in retaliation for winning when we won the trade deal, which we certainly did by looking at any any way you want to look at it, uh, it, it had to embarrass uh, China's president. All right. And then John pointed out something uh, very, very, very interesting. And I always try to give props to people that I get information from. Also, thank you, uh, Patriot Underground. Uh, Patel Patriot, there, there's all kinds of you, and, and you guys know who you are. I really do appreciate all the help as I was putting this together, uh, going through and uh, trying to give everybody a blueprint, uh, if you would, of my theory on this. So John pointed, pointed out that January 15th, 2020, was the day that the first case of COVID-19 arrived in the United States from the Wuhan uh, lab, according to the CDC, uh, and I want to thank uh, the media relations uh, for this press release. Uh, the center, uh, <laughs> the CDC uh, and prevention today confirmed uh, the first case of 2019 or COVID-19 novel coronavirus uh, in the United States. In the state of Washington, 
the patient recently returned from Wuhan, China, where an outbreak of, of uh, uh, ammonia caused by uh, this novel coronavirus has been ongoing since December 2019. So the number of coincidences that I that you know just putting this together, not just this episode, but this whole series, uh, has been kind of amazing. Okay, so when John asked me a couple questions on this, it, it really got me thinking about the bigger picture. I believe Trump was making moves to prepare for an election theft long before January 15, 2020. I can't imagine he knew back in 2018 that in two years, COVID-19 would leak from the CCP bioweapons lab and be used as a pretext to steal the 2020 election. And I've said this and said this, this war is bigger than just China. Trump is fighting a war against the entire political establishment. Remember, the political establishment is the cause of not just America's problem, but problems around our entire world. Keep your open mind as I go through this. Many of our government leaders and government institutions have been corrupted nearly, I think, beyond beyond repair. Most of them are beyond repair. I think they're going to be tried for treason. Some of them already have. They have been selling America out for personal gain for many, so many years. It's, it's frightening. And they do it because it's extremely lucrative. And they do it because they've gotten away with it for so long. They thought, they thought they were invincible. So the MSM and Big Tech act as, a, as the propaganda arm and spin the narrative necessary for the political establishment to operate while keeping Americans ignorant. That's what they think in their mind. Now, I know a lot of people are woken up now, but there, and I'm guilty of it too. I just went with the flow for a long time, most of my life. The political establishment then uses the intelligence agencies to do their dirty work. They rigged the elections as to never lose their grip on the power. And that 2020 is not the first time they've stolen an election. It's the first time they were so obvious and the first time they really got caught. But it's not the first. It's been going on for a long time. Uh, the media, big tech, and the intelligence community uh, community cover up the rigged elections then they rinse wash repeat American and I want you guys to think about this American enemies jump at the chance to assist these people in their operations let me give you an example when the CCP had the opportunity to make a shady deal with a corrupt American politician or a member of his or her family, it becomes the best-case scenario for the CCP having proof of corrupt dealings provides 
the CCP with the opportunity to control those government officials that are involved. They become compromised. They can use the proof uh, of the dealings as blackmail, and that's an effective tool for getting whatever you want. It doesn't take long to destroy the greatest nation on earth when the leaders have sold it out. When corruption like this perverts our entire government, who can stop it? The answer to this question is the basis for this episode. Really, the basis for the entire Special Report Devolution series. There's only one remaining group of individuals that stands in the way of, a, of the total destruction of and I'm not being dramatic, the total destruction of America. That group is the United States military. Joint Publication 1 from the Joint Chiefs of Staff Doctrine Series tells us the purpose of the United States Armed Forces. And I got this from the Chief of Staff uh, from their website. Uh, the U.S. Armed Forces fulfill unique and crucial roles defending the U.S. against all adversaries while serving the nation as a bulwark and a guarantor of its security and independence. The U.S. Armed Forces function within the American system of civil-military relations and serve under the civil control of the President, the Commander-in-Chief. The U.S. Armed forces embody the highest values and standards of American society and the profession of arms. Think about that. Defending the U.S. against all adversaries while serving the nation as a bulwark and a guarantor of its security and independence. What if those adversaries, our, if they're our own leadership, what if our elected officials themselves are risking the security of the independence of the United States? The U.S. Armed Forces have the best intelligence capabilities in the world. What would happen if they received intelligence that a sitting president and or his administration did something that by any objective measure put the national security of the United States of America at risk? And what if it happened repeatedly? How could they defeat the biggest threat to America if that threat is where their orders are coming from? And this... This is where I believe the true silent war began prior to Trump ever announcing, ever coming down that uh, escalator and announcing his candidacy for president. The military was witnessing the highest levels of our government selling out America for personal gain and putting our national security at risk. 
All right, I'm going to take a break for uh, today's sponsor. Today's sponsor is Anchor. If you're thinking about starting a podcast or already have a podcast, uh, Anchor, you can do everything in one place. Thank you guys so much. Be right back. Hey, guys, have you heard about Anchor by Spotify? It's the best and easiest way I've found to start a new podcast. Everything is right there. At Anchor, I can not only record my podcast, I can add music, I can add sounds, and much more. Also, I can trim and crop my podcast as well, all in one place, right there on my iPhone or computer. On Anchor, as a host, you can distribute your podcast on platforms like Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Everything is in one place. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. Best part of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app today, or go to anchor.fm to get started. All right, and welcome back to the special report here at the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Let's jump right into this. This is episode uh, special report number nine in our devolution special report. Okay, so in order to properly provide context to to what I was just talking about and why devolution had to happen, we need to look back at what got us here, okay? Why did the political establishment fight Trump's presidency so hard? They fought it like their lives depended on it. Why were they so desperate to stop Trump (laughs) that they overplayed their hands and blatantly stole the 2020 election? Where did the silent war begin let's talk about well I used to say he was the worst president we ever had but (laughs) you got fake Biden in there now let's talk about the Obama years now I have no doubt that the war against the political establishment has been happening since prior to Barack's presidency but this seemed like the most logical place to start By the time that Donald Trump even announced his run for the presidency in June of 2015, the political establishment, think about this now, and remember for those of you that were there, had already completely corrupted our federal government. Trump built his 2016 campaign on the premises of giving the government back to the American people. Quote from Mr. Trump. Our movement is about replacing a failed and corrupt. Now, when I say corrupt, I'm talking about totally corrupt political establishment with a new government controlled by you, the American people. There is nothing the political establishment will not do. No lie that they won't tell to hold their prestige power at your expense and what that's been and I'm sorry and that's what's been happening continue to quote Mr. Trump I'm doing this for the people and for the movement 
and we will take back this country for you, and we will make America a great again. The corrupt establishment knows that we are a great threat to their criminal enterprises. Remember, this is why we voted for him in 2016. They know that if we win, their power is gone, and it's returned to you, the people, will be. The dark clouds hanging over our government can be lifted and replaced with a bright future, but it all depends on whether we let the corrupt media decide our future or whether we let the American people decide our future. Here, here. Here, here. So although the propaganda arm of the political establishment would like you to think otherwise, <laughs> Barack Obama was a terrible president. I mean, his presidency was filled with scandals. Uh, there's a Wikipedia page that has a list of 68, 68 Obama administration controversies. Now, I'm not going to mention every controversy, but I will focus on the ones that I believe are most relevant to the devolution that is currently playing out today. And here are the primary scandals that I found uh, during the Obama uh, presidency uranium one deal operation fast and furious Lord mercy the Clinton email scandal the Iran nuclear deal Benghazi forget about that that happened under this guy and spygate each one of these scandals is an example of our own government led by President Obama directly putting the national security of the United States at risk. I could easily write, I could easily have an entire episode dedicated to each of these individually. But <laughs> this, this episode's already long enough, and I'm just not going to be able to do that. However, the scandal I, I want to deep dive into is Benghazi. And you're going to see why. I don't want the fact that I won't be providing in-depth analysis of the other scandals to take away from their overall importance. They all play a bit, a part, a big part in the bigger picture. I urge you to do your own research, as always. Never believe what I say. Go behind me. Do your research. I promise you. I appreciate you more for that. Now, I do want to mention that I didn't really my I didn't really wake up until <laughs> until 2020. So I, I just want you to understand I wasn't paying attention when all this was really unfolding. I was working and I I just you know my eyes were shut. I couldn't see how corrupt Washington was, and it uh, once it once my eyes were open and especially once I started. Uh, Taking a look at this, uh, oh man, it'll knock the wind right out of you. So the Uranium One deal is the typical pay-for-play scenario. Uh, 
this is a uh, National Review article uh, from October 2017. Uh, it provides a solid breakdown. There's plenty more uh, to, to the full story. Um, this article I have, I'm not going to, um, yeah, I'm not going to read all this. Um, however, uh, however, I, I do, if you do, you guys can always email me with questions or if you want to be a guest at olkentucky99 at yahoo.com. Uh, and that's O-L, Kentucky spelled out, nine, the number is 99 at yahoo.com. I want to, uh, if you want to, if you want a copy of this article, um, I'd be more than happy uh, to send it to you. So let's, let me read the first part of it because it's important. Um, so this article starts out, let's put the Uranium One scandal in perspective. The cool half million bucks uh, the, that Putin regime, the Putin regime uh, funneled to Bill Clinton was five times the amount it spent on those Facebook ads, the ones the media, Democrat uh, <laughs> uh, conspiracies, uh, they ludicrously suggested uh, swung the 20, uh, 2016 presidential election to Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Russia, Russia, Russia. And you know what? Russia, Russia, Russia was a hoax because it had nothing to do with Donald Trump, and it's all coming out that it had to do with the other campaign. So I apologize uh, on a previous episode when I said it wasn't a hoax. It, it, it was a hoax. It was a hoax against Donald Trump. Yes, there's proof that people were involved, but guess what? They weren't involved on the side. They got the blame for it for four years. I regress. Anyways, so anyways, uh, so that's the start of that. Um, the Clintons were just doing what the Clintons do, cashing in on their public service. <laughs> this is a great article. You get a chance. Uh so now, uh, so after reading this, if you think that this is only a Clinton scandal, oh, oh, oh you had not seen nothing yet, my friend. Uh, Monica Lewinsky reference, but please keep the above scandal in mind. Uh, this type of uh, pay-for-play scheme is common for our corrupt political establishment. There's no doubt that the uranium uh, one deal put the national security of the United States at risk. Many details of the scandal have come to light. Our military is obviously aware of those details, and with their intelligence capabilities, they likely know more than we do regarding the details that haven't come out to the light yet or been given to us. Here's the real question, though. So Trump, the White Hats, right? The White Hats in the military... How, how, how do they feel about seeing this unfold? I mean, would they be okay with it? Remember the oath that they took? Yeah, Operation Fast and Furious. Uh, although 
what I'm getting ready to read to you did come from CNN. Uh, it does contain a good basic overview of that scandal. Um, here's a look at Operation Fast and Furious from 20, uh, 2009 to 2011. Uh, the Phoenix Field Division of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, the ATF, along with other partners, allowed illegal gun sales in order to track the sellers and purchasers who were believed to be connected to the Mexican drug cartels. During the Fast and Furious investigation, nearly 2,000 firearms were illegally purchased for $1.5 million, according to the DOJ Inspector General report. Hundreds of guns were later recovered in the United States and Mexico. Huh, who got that money? Uh, in 2010, two of the weapons linked to Fast and Furious turned up near the scene of the murder of Border Patrol agent Brian Terry in the Arizona desert. Whistleblowing led to investigations by the Senate Judiciary Committee and the House Oversight and Government Reform Committee. During the House investigation, Attorney General Eric Holder was cited for contempt. Fast and Furious was one of the operations under Project Gunrunner, part of the Department of Justice Border National Southwest Border uh, Counter Narcotic Strategy, which is ridiculous. Fast and Furious, it did not. Uh, operation Fast and Furious was not the ATF's first gun walking investigation, which allowed illegally purchased firearms to walk out of gun shops. It was preceded by Operation Wide Receiver, which began in 2006. Ah, scary. But yet, the, but right now, they want to take your guns. I wonder if they're just going to give them to the cartel for more money, more money, more money. Ridiculous. So our government was selling firearms to the Mexican drug cartel, and those guns ended up being connected to all sorts of crimes right here in the United States. Does that not put America's security at risk? Do you think that the military would be okay with this going on? Of course not. The Clinton email scandal. And thank you, BBC. This is where I got this uh, lovely piece from. Hillary Clinton has been cleared for the second time by the FBI over her use of private email server while Secretary of State. What's it all about? In July, an FBA, FBI investigation concluded no reason. Of course they didn't. Got to watch these three-letter agencies here in America. They're corrupt. They got a lot of corrupt people in them. They got good people in them. They got a lot of corrupt people in them. <laughs> concluded no reasonable prosecutor would bring a criminal case against Miss Clinton, but that she and her aides were extremely careless in their handling of classified information. Yeah, it got our boys killed over Benghazi. I'm not going to start on that. The FBI surprised everyone 11 days before the election by announcing it was examining newly discovered emails sent or received by Hillary Clinton. Two days before voting booths open across the nation, FBI Director 
James Comey, uh, remember that guy, <laughs> announced he was standing by his original assessment that Ms. Clinton would not face criminal charges. So how did we get here? Shortly before she was sworn in as Secretary of State in 2009, Hillary Clinton set up uh, an email server at her home in Chapaca, New York. <laughs> she then uh, relied on this server home to the email addresses hdr22 at clintonemail.com uh, for all her electronic correspondence, both work-related and personal, during her four years in office. She also reportedly set up email addresses on the server for her longtime aide, Huma Abedin, and State uh, Department Chief of Staff, Cheryl Mills. She did not use or even activate a StateGov email account, which would have been hosted on servers owned and managed by the U.S. government. Ms. Clinton's email uh, system became a national story the first week of March 2015 when the New York Times ran a front-page article on the subject. The article said that the system may have violated federal requirements and was alarming to current and former government uh, archive officials. Skeptics have countered that the real reason, and I'm still in this article uh, from BBC, the real reason Ms. Clinton established her own email system was because it gave her total control over her correspondence. Duh. Uh, with her email set up, she became the sole arbitrary of what should and shouldn't be provided to the government, made public via freedom of information, request, or turned over to interested parties such as the Congressional Committee investigating the 2012 attack on the U.S. Uh, uh, our U.S. boys and girls in Benghazi. According to the State Department Inspector General Report, <laughs> sorry, I just, uh, Hillary Clinton has always, um, she, just her name, like my blood pressure goes up. But anyways, according to the State Department Inspector General report, in 2010, Ms. Clinton told her Deputy Chief of Staff that one of her concerns with email is that she did not want any risk of the personal personnel being accessible. An FBI investigation found that Ms. Clinton used numerous personal devices while in office and relied on several email servers uh, Clinton staffers told the FBI that they destroyed some of the replaced devices with a hammer while they could not account for others. Huh, what did, what'd you, what'd you, why'd you do that for? What'd you do that for? Uh, <laughs> According to Ms. Clinton, she sent and received 62,320 emails during her time as Secretary of State. She and her lawyers have determined about half of those, uh, minus 30,490, roughly 55,000 pages, were official and have been turned over to the State Department. Ms. Clinton said the other emails are private. Huh. What are they private about? Oh, relating topics to, like, her daughter's wedding and 
her mother's funeral. Come on. You ain't got nothing to hide. Show them. At Hillary Clinton's request, the State Department released the first set of emails sent on her private account in May 2015, with many relating to the 2012 attack on the U.S. Uh, consulated in uh, Benghazi. In early August 2015, she signed an affidavit swearing she had turned over all copies of government records from her time in office. The, <laughs> the FBI found several thousand work-related emails that were not, so right there she committed perjury, that were not turned over to the State Department, although it concluded that the emails were deleted prior to 2014 and were not initially removed in an effort to conceal them. Really? Really? About 3,000 emails are expected to be released in the run-up to Election Day, but many more will not be processed until after November 8th. Uh, and I know that was a long, long article, but it, 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 it makes sense. It's all going to tie together, I promise. In 2015, Peter uh, Skowatzer published the book, Clinton Cash, the untold story of how and why foreign governments and businesses help make Bill and Hillary rich. <laughs> if you haven't had a chance to read this book, you ought to. Uh, it's in your local library. Clinton Cash is an investigation of the foreign benefactors of Bill and Hillary Clinton. And, and let's not forget, the Clinton Foundation. It investigates alleged connections between the Clinton Foundation donors and Hillary Clinton's work at the State Department. The book argues that the Clinton family accepted lavish donations and speaking fees from foreign donors at times when the State Department was considering whether to award large contracts. Boy, they sound just like Nancy Pelosi. Large contracts to groups and people affiliated with those donors. One of those donors included Mohammed Hussein Allah Amunda, an Ethiopian and a Saudi Arabian billionaire businessman. <laughs> this book is great. It has 11 chapters. Some chapters focus on particular transactions or deals, such as the creation of uh, Eurasia Energy and Uranium One uh, in uh, uh, Kakistan. Uh, and the connection uh, shareholders had and have to the Clintons. Other chapters focus on the border set of relationship, a broader set of relationships. I want to talk about the border, but uh, <laughs> sorry about that. Particularly with regard to Bill Clinton's paid speeches during the years Hillary Clinton served as the Secretary of State and whether those paying for his speeches had significant business uh, before the State Department. Uh the author dubs the Clintons blend of government service and private uh, renaming uh, money, uh, the Clinton blur. Hillary Clinton is basically Joe Biden in a, in a pantsuit. I mean, and she has a, a mean street uh, for seducing and threatening anyone who might have dirt on her. Both are products of the corrupt political establishment I've been talking about, and they are beholden to 
and both sold out the country for personal gain. Let's move right along because we're there. Biden's trying to get us right back into this next scandal. The Iran nuclear deal. The joint comprehensive plan of action, commonly referred to as the Iran nuclear deal, is certainly one of the more complex scandals. There appears to be much more than meets the eye. The Wall Street Journal, I'm actually going to give them credit for this, they actually summarized it best. Quote, the Obama administration followed up a plane load of $400 million in cash sent to Iran in January with two more such shipments in the next 19 days, totaling a, another $1.3 billion, according to congressional officials briefed by the U.S. State Treasury and Justice Departments. The cash payments... Uh, the cash payments made in Swiss France, euros, and other currencies uh, settled a decade, decades-old dispute over a failed arms deal dating back to 1979. U U.S. officials have acknowledged the payment of the first 400 million coincided with Iran's release of American prisoners and was used as leverage to ensure they were flown out uh, of Iran on the morning of January 17th. Now, this is from The Hill. There were facts that the former President Obama knew when he deliberately chose a policy of appeasement and cash payoff instead of strength and accountability as a way to deal with Iran. Uh, President Trump spelled this out in no uncertain terms on Wednesday when he addressed the nation while seeking to dial down uh, dial down the imminent threat Iran may pose to our nations. <laughs> uh, the Middle East and the world. So said the president in part, Iran's hostilities substantially increase after the foolish Iran nuclear deal was signed in 2013, and they were given $150 billion, not to mention the $1. billion in cash. Then Iran went on a terror spree, funded by the money from the deal, and created hell in Yemen, I'm just reading this now, Yemen, Syria, Lebanon, Afghanistan, and Iraq. The missiles, the missiles fired last night at us and our allies were paid for with the funds made available by the last administration, and that's your uh, lovely Obama administration, by the way, uh, by which he's doing his third term right now between Sleepy Joe. Uh, as far as we have seen and heard, some, especially Democrats, their allies in the media, and Obama supporters choose to challenge or quabble with Trump's statement that said, I spoke with a former senior intelligent official who said that that much of the $1.8 billion cash payoff from the Obama administration was used explicitly to fund terrorism as an additional, um, screw you, uh, from the leaders of Iran, including 
uh, Solomoni to the United States, the rest of that money, uh, my source believes, ended up in the bank accounts of corrupt Iranian leaders and terrorisms. The cash payment authorized by Obama is one of the most disgraceful. I'm still reading Trump's uh, quote, by the way, is one of the most disgraceful, shameful uh, negotiations in the history of our nation. It was a payment the Obama White House first denied, then ignored, and then grudgingly acknowledged. So think about how our military felt about this Iran nuclear deal. The United States had been fighting a war on terrorism in the Middle East dating back all the way to 2001. And President Barack Obama gave cash to our enemies and released prisoners back to them. Now, I don't want to speculate, but something does not pass the smell test here. I cannot imagine our military was okay with this. The Iran nuclear deal clearly put the, nat the national security at risk. The Benghazi attack. This is where things get interesting because this is where we start to do, we start some, <laughs> we start to talk about some familiar faces from previous episodes of the devolution. First, let's look at some background. Uh, and this is from the Ballotpedia. Uh, let's see. There's plenty more to this story, uh, but, you know, time's just not going to allow. So let's let's go. I'm going to hit. Um, I'm going to hit a couple here. I'm not going to read all this. On September 11, 20, uh, 2012, Ambassador Stevens was in Baghazi meeting with Libyan officials in search of Muhammad Gaddafi weapon stockpiles. He was also there to open Cultural Center number 37. The attack on the U.S. mission started around 9.40 p.m. when gunshots and explosions were heard. The militia uh, overpowered the main gate and burned the barrack buildings at about 10 o'clock p.m. The militia broke through the compound wall and the ambassador went to the safe room with information uh, officer Sean Smith. The CIA annex located approximately a mile away was notified of the attack while Stevens and Smith were in the safe room. The building was set on fire using diesel fuel causing smoke to fill the building. The CIA agents and 16 Libyan security guards regained control of the compound and began searching for Stevens and Smith. The first drones were sent over the site as President Obama began to meet with the Secretary of Defense and the Chair of the Joint Chiefs. An email indicating the group Anasar al-Shirara claimed the attack was sent from the U.S. State Department to the White House. <laughs> On about, at about, and I'm going to read all this because this is important. I want you guys to see this. At about 1.15 a.m. on the next day, a rescue team from Tripoli arrived in Benghazi. Those rescued uh, from the missions 
were at the CIA annex, including Stevens, Deputy Missions Chief uh, Gregory Hicks uh, notified Secretary of State Hillary Clinton the, that Americans in Benghazi needed to be evacuated at 2 a.m. At about 4 a.m., the militants attacked the CIA annex and killed Navy SEALs, uh, Glenn Daughtry, uh, and Tyrone Woods. The bodies of Stephen Smith, uh, Daughtry, and Woods were on the final plane out of Libya at 10 a.m. September 12th. They need to be out of there too, Hillary. Oh, let's do it at four. Let's do it at four and get them killed. That blood's on her hands. Although senior White House officials initially labeled the attack a spontaneous reaction to an anti-Muslim video made by an American that was circulating in the region, the Obama administration acknowledged on September 19, 2012, that it was a premeditated terrorist attack. And I have an article from the Washington Post laying all that out from the Obama administration. Um, the administration, and this is a quote the, uh, from the article. I'm not going to read it all. Uh, I'm not going to read any of it, just this one thing. The administration could not publicly admit that Benghazi was mostly a secret CIA effort, internal conflict between agencies. Will we ever know the true scope of what happened during Benghazi. Maybe not. But there is definitely more to this story. However, I, I now want to discuss how this relates to devolution. And how it relates that our corrupt political establishment and their actions are at odds with the military and their duty to uphold the security and independence of these United States. This is where we see ties between Benghazi and devolution. So let's look once again, real quick, uh, into the background of a man that I've talked about a couple times. The He's at the center of devolution, and that's Christopher C. Miller's. And this article uh, I don't know where this article come from. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but those who know the former Army Special Forces officer and have worked with him describe him as a standout leader who has at every level of his career kept perspective on the national impacts of his work and over uh, overreaching defense strategy. As a company commander with 5th Special Forces Group, Miller helped to direct the first covert invasion of Afghanistan following the September 11, uh, 2001 terror attacks. A small number of Green Berets from the 5th Group, some of them on horseback, were sent to defeat the Taliban in an operation uh, uh, depositated years later in the future film 12 Strong. 
According to Jason uh, Arman, a former member of the unit, Miller was in no small part responsible for the way the first deployment deployment (laughs) took place. Uh, There's a quote by him. Uh, Chris basically got the fifth group into the war. Amron is now a future of war fellow at the New American Think Tank told Military.com. Thank you, Military.com. That's where this comes from. On Monday in 2001, as we prepared for Afghanistan, uh, there really was no coherent plan initially and a big and big disagreements between special operations, the CIA, and the White House. Basically, Chris Miller stood up volunteered the 5th Group to become the Joint Special Operations Task Force to become the JSOTF North and spearheaded the invasion on Afghanistan. So now it's important to note that as far back as 2001, our military, I just read it to you, they were at odds with the political establishment. The subject matter of these types of disagreements are what negatively affect our national security. All right, I'm going to leave it right there for today. Uh, there's a whole lot more to this. Um, there, there's a lot more to this, uh, but you know we're we're uh, we're, we're going on an hour. <laughs> I don't want to wear you guys out. I want you guys to stay with me. Uh, I know some of you, and I appreciate the emails, and I know some of you have mentioned that. You had to go back and re-listen, and, and uh, you know, I, I do it all the time. And I'm the one talking, and I have to go back and re-listen uh, when I'm doing research for uh, other shows and things. So, anyways, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You guys have been listening to the special report here on the Red Pill Current News Podcast. Remember, tomorrow we will have James Hicks, uh, Hickman. He will be with us. Hey, you all have a wonderful day. Thank you guys so very much. God bless and God bless America.